Project Lawful aka Plane Crash by Yarwain aka Eliezer Yudkowski and Lintamande. Thread 4, Project Lawful and Their Oblivious Boyfriend. Episode 93. An hour before dawn, she gathers the not-fired students and also security around for the great big project briefing. She's already told bits and pieces of the whole story to various students, as it seemed necessary to assuage various specific worries of theirs, but saying it in front of everyone makes it clear that she didn't select the stories she told them, and that they're insiders, now among the very few in Cheliax who know what's really going on. It's a long story. Her voice is getting hoarse. I was irritated, at first, about the rumors, but the judgment of people more experienced than I was that they are completely inevitable. This is, unambiguously, the most important thing that has happened in Galerion since the death of Aradhen, and arguable the most important thing that has ever happened. We are at the center of it. Our successes and our failures will not go unnoticed. The Queen is not only reading our transcripts, she is reading our thought transcripts. One of the rumors is that every devil in Dis knows my name, which must be false, but all the contract devils do, necessarily. Do you want your names to be known? Pride is one of our Lord's domains. You may think, if you'd like, on what you'd do with money and power and titles and all else that would result from our triumph— but the path ahead is very narrow. We are not worth that much yet. It is simply the judgment of those wiser than us that we might be. And in deference to their judgment, I am doing everything in my power to unlock the value in you all, wherever it's found, and to build in Cheliax and, if necessary, in Hell, a system that can use you to your fullest potential. It will succeed spectacularly, or it will fail spectacularly. There is no middle ground. Go to your rooms and prepare your spells, and if you think of anything at all that might be a barrier to unlocking all the value in you, bring it to me. Dismissed. And she has a bit of the post-combat high herself at that, though she's not as childish as Asmodia and doesn't show it. Security message to Sivar. We've been ordered to tell you keep it strictly professional. She'll also keep it strictly professional. She will not read your thought transcripts from while she's in your presence because you're not ready for that. Actually, why don't you all stick around another moment? Abigail Thrun II says pleasantly, dropping her invisibility. Thank you for the heads up, security. Carissa manages to keep her face convincingly to everyone in the room, but Abigail calm as she kneels. Abigail waits until not only the security with appropriate combat reflexes but the younger wizards who managed to be paralyzed with horror for half a second have succeeded in kneeling. First, many of my subordinates in the Asmodean hierarchy, from time to time, find it in their best interest to tell their own subordinates that their project is of vast value to Cheliax, to Hell, to Asmodeus, or of course to me. In most cases they speak falsely, and in many of those, dishonestly. I don't consider this a flaw in my regime. If you are weak enough of mind to believe what you should not believe, you deserve what you get. This does create a problem of justified skepticism within those very rare projects that are of vast importance. I hope this problem to be easily corrected, 
when I say that I am not in the habit of visiting on behalf of those over-enthusiastic subordinates to address their underlings and back up their stories, as perhaps a clever mind might expect some important people would do if the project was actually important. Consider it confirmed from my own mouth and affirmed by my presence that the Queen of Cheliacs considers this project to be possibly vastly important. Getting information out of hell is often harder than torturing it out of paladins. They will not tell us of prices in dis, but we can learn buyers. Your new owners are of rarefied heights. It seems that hell also considers you, and I do mean you personally, to be potentially important. With matters indeed being that important, after walking around and seeing the disarray things are in, I've decided that this project is not ready to resume operations today. You are not organized, you are not actually rested, you have not rehearsed your new stories, and you are not caught up on your paperwork. Keltham is currently a statue resting in his bed. This is not usually an option for deceiving important people because they have some notion of the current date and will notice if days suddenly go missing. In this case, nobody does seem to have informed Keltham of the current date at any point according to his transcripts. Let's not tell him for a while longer, unless he asks. The key resource that this project burns with every working day is not some timer in the outside world, but Keltham's time aware and learning. There is no point in spending that resource while you are not in good condition to make use of it. I do not think you should skip more than one day like this, at a time. Keltham may notice that you change too much from night to dawn if you do this often. But for this day, and mayhap the day after Keltham's next true day, it will give you a chance to catch up while waiting on your rings of sustenance. The knapsack was a clever idea, dear little ambitious Asmodia, but you are not as yet any match for the cleverness of myself, nor Keltham when he puts his mind to it. And no, that is not a problem you could solve by stealing my crown from me. It is a skill that enhancement alone does not convey. The knapsack was clever, but it was not cleverness enough to save you had there been trouble. You are not ready, this minute, if Keltham starts taking matters seriously when next he wakes. You are not ready, even, if he asks for a fox's cunning while Ione has not yet solved her riddle. There is a terrible gap between being clever and being clever enough. To contain and deceive Keltham, you must learn to be clever enough. Use today to get better organized, though each of you must actually get three hours rest this time. Your queen commands it. Oh, and also this. While I have no intention of disturbing Carissa's experiments while they yet seem to be bearing fruit, there are limits to merciful experiments. Should you knowingly, deliberately, and unambiguously betray Hell's vital interests here, then, after you have been executed and your owner asks after your life, let them see this within your thoughts. That the Queen of Cheliacs did instruct them in Asmodeus's name and as his incentive to make you suffer the most they possibly can, even at the cost of their own profit. Be it clear, I am not talking about the kind of betrayal you can accomplish by accident or while trying even slightly not to. I mean deliberately attempting to enlighten Keltham or selling out the site to Lastwall. With all the talk of diminished punishment going around, accompanied by other talk of pride and vast rewards, it seemed prudent to remind you that there are limits. If Carissa achieves even a tenth of her ambitions within her lifetime, if you contribute even the fiftieth part of the work towards that,
there is not one Asmodean among you who could not be a duchess in the new Galarian we would conquer. That in life, and after to be among the higher devils in hell, coming to it already a being of law. Though Asmodea, I'm given to understand, has already had jurisdiction of her own fate claimed by my colleague the Most High, which I will not dispute. As I confirm what Carissa told you of this project's importance, I also confirm what she told you of the rewards if you succeed, such as fall within the Queen's hands to give. Now you are dismissed. The Queen of Cheliax is gone. Petrify Keltham to give them some time to organize. Of course. Why didn't she think of that? Because Abigail is actually better than her, truly and actually better than her. She serves someone worthy in ways she can understand, not just in mysterious ways that aren't meant to make sense to mortals. If, she says with her voice mostly steady, you thought I was lying to you or exaggerating that I had not absorbed enough of Dathilan to make this project lawful in the manner in which its government is, well, now you know otherwise, and next time perhaps you'll think a little differently. Let's all go get some rest. PL timestamp, day 8, 7, morning. Keltham wakes. It's another bright day in Cheliax. Well, not literally bright. Some rain clouds seem to have blown up overnight, but same essential principle. Oh wait, he's got to fire some people today, doesn't he? First thing in the morning, that should probably be, if Myol has his options to offer in. Keltham prays for his cleric spells, once again requesting a whole lot of wisdom. There's no personality to the reply he receives, as there hasn't been since coming to the new site, nor any unrequested spells received. But he does receive all his spells, and that hopefully indicates that his god is okay at all, with whatever barrier has been erected here to keep out non-allied deities. Myliol's office first, then. Myliol looks just as worn as he did yesterday. Tough job, and at least over the next hour or a few, Keltham's job won't be a great one either. What options does Cheliax have for Paxti, Jackme, Pella, and Yaisa? Over tea and biscuits yesterday afternoon, out in the yard because they're really not getting much sunlight while Keltham is active, Carissa and Mylol worked these out. The options are, there is another secret project that can accept second circle wizards, the girls would have to be screened for suitability and might not prove suitable, in which case they could pick one of the other options. They can go to hell for not longer than five years, shorter if Keltham and Cheliax agree. They no longer know any state secrets. They can go to the afterlife of an allied god, if they'd rather that than hell, and the allied god promises the same secrecy hell could provide. The cost of this is hard to estimate, but it seems like maybe the kind of thing Caden Kaelian would agree to. They can remain on site and get a tutor to teach them some useful and valuable magic and interact socially with the core project girls. This might be healthy anyway, so the girls can have some friends and romantic partners who aren't their collaborators in a high-stakes project. Keltham undergoes some slight blinks about the romantic partners part. Homosexuality is statistically ambient three people you know personally in Dathilan, but biromanticism is rarer than that though still not unheard of, and of course statistical rarity is meaningless to social acceptability per se. But yeah, those sound like basically decent options. Keltham will see how the non-retained wizards react. If it seems okay to them, that may be good enough. Otherwise, he'll decide where to go from there. 
For the on-site option or the other secret project option, is there a relevant wage quote he can tell them? Either one can be at 20% above the world wound wage, Carissa the previous day said to Mayol, and he'll be happy. And that's low enough we don't have to explain why the girls aren't getting lots of fancy magic items either. 12 GP slash week minimum in both cases, which is 20% above the world wound wage for wizards with their experience. For the secret project, that'd be a normal wage, or it might turn out to pay a bit better, but not much. For the on-site project, it'd be generous. But Cheliax does understand the concept of good incentives to suddenly volunteer on secret projects you might fail out of. Thank you. Those are better options than Keltham was afraid he'd have for them and make him feel better about this. He is very glad to know that they won't be financially worse off for having tried to deal with him. Utterly predictable. Have them called in, then. Should he let them get breakfast first, or... No, because then they'll be around Meritzel and the others having to conceal their knowledge. Please have them called in here individually once they've prepped spells or are otherwise available to be called, and please have snacks or light breakfast foods available to them when here in case they're hungry. Sure. Even most Abadar clerics aren't that bad. Time for the worst part of any startup founding experience, including the part where your project site gets invaded by minions of a torture god, or actually not as bad as the part where you worry 150 million people are going to die because of you being there. Never mind, that was worse. Who's in first to get fired? Pella did her hair somewhat elaborately this morning, on account of waking up early. After extensive discussions with Sevar, she concluded that Alter Pela would ask if this was decided already, or if she was allowed to have a counter-argument, so she's going to do that. She didn't sleep much the last couple nights, but Keltham shouldn't be able to notice that. People's one-week contracts are up. One-third of the wizards seem to be doing great at absorbing law. One-third are plausibly on trajectory to form a productive second tier. One-three seem to be struggling. Pella's among the final third, and her options include looking for another secret project, guaranteed to pay 12 GP slash week minimum, or 20% higher than world wound pay, or taking an on-site option here for 12 GP slash week, and tutelage in some skill and continued interaction with her friends, going to hell for at most five years, or until the knowledge she has isn't deemed hazardous, whichever comes first, or her choice of other afterlives, if, say, she likes what Pilar has to say about Elysium, and Caden Kalian is on board, though Keltham admits to not knowing the details of how that would work exactly. Sorry. Oh, is this decided already, or can they disagree with it? Keltham should have thought of his response to that question earlier. I should have thought of my response to that question before you entered. Sorry again that I didn't. You can definitely first-order disagree. How likely you are to shift my first-order opinions by argument is a separate question. If you solved six out of seven problems from yesterday on your own before you walked in, and what I thought was the middle third only got five while trying on their own, that would, well, frankly, it would surprise me enough that I'd want further verification with more tests, but it would deconvince me of my current opinion, at least. Head shake. I only got two. She could have gotten more if she'd spent more time on it, but Sevar said she could only have an hour because if she could only keep up with Keltham time-stopped, that'd have implications for the fabric of truth elsewhere. Sever's gotten kind of grandiose about the fabric of truth. Well, if nobody else from the middle third got any... I probably shouldn't say that, given how unlikely it is, in my estimation. Sorry. 
I am not expecting this question to succeed, but is there some alternate test or challenge that you would propose? Inorganic challenges of that kind are inherently biased. If you're there thinking your job is on the line, and the others in the contest think their job is secure. But if you think you can not just match but outperform, my median tier two researcher in some challenge, to make up for that bias, I'd hear of it. Pella thought of a dozen clever ideas, all of which Sevar told her didn't seem worth it. I don't know. Sorry. If Pella is feeling disappointed right now, that is at least in part Keltham's fault for having not thought about this possibility, or more accurately, his having not wanted to think about this possibility, and not communicating clearly about that possibility. If Pella holds herself injured by all this, Keltham will hear her out. I mean, this is obviously, like, we were prepared for it to go way worse. I don't think it's unfair, but I don't talk much in class. It's hard to go back from math to words, and I'd have talked more if... Civilization knows very well that people vary along that dimension. I wasn't going on talkativeness or participation or being the first to speak out. I was going on the problems that everyone was trying in parallel. I don't want to tell you names in advance of telling them, but when you see the complete list of who was over and under the threshold, it should be visible that the threshold wasn't based on how much you talked in class. I hope. Okay. Can you repeat the list of options? 12 GP slash weak generous salary to do something productive here on site if, say, she wants to stay close to her friends from school. 12 GP slash weak is 20% more than the world wound would have been, but without the stress, any magical gains that would have come from the stress, or the implied reward of knowing she was doing something to preserve Galarion, if Pela has that much good in her. 12 GP slash week minimum but not by much, if at all salary, if she's accepted by an as-yet unidentified alternate secret project, of which Keltham knows nothing. At most, five years in hell, probably less but no guarantees. After which, this wasn't told to Keltham explicitly, but he assumes this was part of the point. She can be revived at her current age, and get back on track to the world wound, and increasing her wizard powers faster. Presumably that revival is at governance expense? Keltham didn't hear that explicitly, but if it's not true, Keltham will make a fuss and get it done. Keltham is not at all clear about this part, but apparently if, for example, Pella asks Pilar about Elysium and likes the sound of that, maybe some arrangement can be made with Caden Kaelian. Or any other gods that might be interested? Keltham knows basically zero about this, but it's what they told him her options were. Pella snorts. Elysium's supposedly an infinite wilderness, full of floating islands and fountains and so on. I guess it sounds all right for a vacation, but if I'm going to be stuck for five years, I'll have some civilization, thanks. I think I'm inclined to stay here, but I'll ask the others what they're doing. Understood. Thank you for trying. Someone had to, and take that risk, or something like this could never get done. That was all I had. He'll forbear to jump on that infinite part. He can ask somebody else later. To be clear, Keltham is very nearly certain that this is merely a mistranslation by people who use infinite to mean anything large enough to break the measuring stick, and who don't actually mean to imply that they have excellent cause to believe that Elysium is larger than any number that can easily be expressed with nested exponentials or, oh say, the fast-growing hierarchy. Who's next? Jack me, then Yaisa, then Paxti. 
Nobody else asks to be tested. Jackmi mostly just seems distantly sad, like she knew it was coming. Yet she'll stay, her friends are here. Yaisa doesn't mention anything sexual, and obviously neither does Keltham, but she immediately chooses to stay. Paki says that she'll ask more questions about that secret project, but to save her a seat in the fortress. And that's over. Apparently you need cake. Correct. Thanks. It tastes more filling than sweet fluffy. Why was he trying to do that without any quick breakfast? I wonder if I've gotten to the point where an actual god of good is trying to remind me to be more evil, Keltham says out loud. Don't ask me what Caden Kaelian is thinking. I'm just suddenly there with the cake. It's slightly nice, somehow, the degree to which Keltham immediately just takes the weirdness in stride. Maybe all the rest of Golarion is the same as this, to him, and suddenly Pilar is not significantly weirder than any other part. Off to actual breakfast, then. Carissa is pretty sure Alter. Carissa would think her boyfriend wants a hug. She has picked out a cozy breakfast spot by the window and piled up a lot of food at it and raises her eyebrows at him when he comes in. Yep, he sure looks like he needs a hug, all right. Keltham uncertainly raises his eyebrows back at her. Message. Come get a hug and eat something. Carissa apparently has enough food for him, too, and utensils. A bit odd to try to guess his own exact food desire preferences like that. But he'll give her guess a shot. He'll go get the offered hug and then sit down by her. Done with hiring stuff. Went okay. How are you doing? Slightly more rested. Yep, I slept in a little and had a dream where you appointed Marixel Duchess of Nadal because she happened to be in your bed when we conquered it, but, you know, slept restfully other than that. She has no idea what he'd want to eat, but compensated by getting everything she's seen him take before. Keltham successfully deduces that after realizing that otherwise Carissa would have needed to guess a food intake need much higher than food intake needs she'd previously observed, it doesn't occur to him to consider that food might be wasted thereby. Civilization tries to inculcate that food is cheap enough to throw away, and it's okay to rethink your food choices in the middle of a meal and throw stuff away and get other stuff, and not try to make like your past guesses should control your future preferences. Good to hear. I don't usually remember my dreams for longer than a few seconds after waking. Didn't remember last night's dreams either, though I know there were some. So, Pela said something about Elysium being a, quote, infinite de quote wilderness. Is it conventional belief that Elysium is literally infinite, as in, for any number you imagine, it's bigger than that number? Or, do they just mean the place was large enough to break whatever measuring instruments they used? The chaotic planes are understood to be infinite, as in, you can go on in any direction forever and you will never get to the end of it or get somewhere you were previously. There's rather a large gap between observing that you failed to find the end of a thing, or the place where it starts looping, and concluding that the thing is infinite. Do you know from what premises this conclusion was reached? I think the gods told us, though also the properties of planes are directly studyable. For powerful enough wizards, including things like how space is shaped in them and how light from distant parts of them reaches us, and maybe some of that study is sufficient to know they're infinite. I don't know. Anyone got the gods' exact wording there? For comparison, my home plane doesn't have a spatial boundary in any direction and doesn't spatially loop. 
but on the lower level of reality underneath that, there were limits on the size of structures that could exist, and any two identical structures of entanglement were the same structure at that underlying level of reality. It didn't actually contain an infinite amount of stuff. It was repeating at a lower level than space looping around. If Elysium is infinite, non-repeating, contains arbitrarily large, entangled structures, and everywhere comprises a similar positive density of reality fluid that literally breaks the law of probability I know. Oh dear. Uh, I don't know that, but I guess we can have someone look it up. Why does it break the law of probability if there are planes that go on forever? What a good thing for Keltham to be extremely worried about. Well, let's say you have an infinite number of INT-16 wizard students, of whom an infinite number become five thecircle wizards. What's your chance of becoming a five thecircle wizard, given that you're an INT-16 wizard student? I don't think all infinities are the same size, though maybe they are in the relevant sense. Wait, yes, okay, they are. Huh. Right, so, the whole requirement of being able to say, Here I am now, what happens to me next? The required premise of being able to ask if it is more likely that you see the coin-spin landing queen or see the coin-spin landing text is that there's entangled structures of reality fluid where your possible futures are entangled with your present, and the amount of reality fluid making up your futures is such that you can have ratios between the amounts of reality fluid in entangled futures. Like, you want to say that there's infinities, you can draw ratios between, sure, but then you can just talk about the fraction that anything is of everything. Like maybe for a really, really large, infinite universe somewhere that was among the simplest possible ones, that one infinite universe would be 0.00001% of the infinite everything. But then you could just leave out the talk of infinity and talk about the fractions. Anyways, not an urgent issue. I just note that it implies, in descending order of probability, that you misunderstood your gods, your gods lied, your gods have no idea how the ass, some parts of law work, or civilization managed to get some parts of the law truly incredibly wrong. It seems unfair to your civilization if they could be wrong based off a factual thing about how a different universe than theirs works. The crap I'm talking about is part of the border between universal truth and local truth. Like, the universal truth about why there are any local truths or people inside those local truths to experience them. I mean, it's not like math and local reality are two totally distinct realms. There's a border where they meet. Knowledge about reality, fluids always being ratioable sorts of things, since it's knowledge about that border, falls on the universal side of is that true everywhere. Like, there's a difference between saying that this table is real, where it's just being real here, and not being real over there, or in Dathilan, and saying that since the table is real, it's necessarily ultimately made out of some stuff that is how real it is, and this stuff comes in ratioable quantities. Oh, and if you're wondering why everything I'm saying sounds like gibberish, it's because we're currently talking about anthropics. The thing you warned, Ione, we mustn't speak of. Who knew it was lurking behind things people say all the time, like that there's no point doing anything about the abyss because there are infinite demons? Yeah, don't worry about that. The ratio between the amount of non-demon reality stuff and the amount of demon reality stuff is not going to be finity to infinity, a.k.a. zero. 
Even if surface reality looks that way, the underlying reality will be something else. You can tell, because we're not demons, which we would be, if there was probability one of being a demon, rather than a non-demon. Keltham has now consumed any food. He looks around to see who's present. Is this a good time for general announcements about salary negotiations? Among the retained, only Asmodia is absent. Pella and Paxti aren't here. Yaisa and Jackme are. He'll wait on Asmodia then, he supposes. Okay, but what the fuck are anthropics? Keltham probably will further mention such common aphorisms as Probability is how much you believe in a possibility. Reality, fluid, is how much possibility believes in you. And try to explain the general notion that anthropics is what the nice, sane, straightforward law of probability turns into once you're creating copies of people, destroying universes too fast for anyone inside them to notice, obtaining outputs in the mainline universe from computations that only happened with very tiny total amplitude, or otherwise manipulating how much reality fluid ends up within overlying experiences directly, instead of via the nice, sane, normal road where you work inside causality to make stuff happen. Oh, well, as long as it's just that, then. She's memorizing everything he says to talk over with Asmodia later, but she doesn't want to suggest now that that carries anything more than academic interest, since the only reason it does is that tropes are real and in Alter Cheliac's Carissa doesn't believe that. It feels like a minor thing, but there are no minor things, no bits of evidence they can afford to give away. Meliol strides into the breakfast area, looking so openly pissed that even Keltham is able to tell this purely by reading his facial expressions. We have an organizational issue above us, he announces. Not fatal, but urgent. Keltham, has anyone explained to you that in a majority of countries that aren't Cheliac's Seventh Circle Wizards and above, often start acting like they're above the law. Now what? And what sort of tropes is it going to initially look like, and then turn out not to be? Where the heck is he now, inside reality anyways? It's been touched on, Keltham says. I wouldn't say I really understand, but I get the general concept of high-circle wizards being powerful to the point where a not-very-lawful government gives up on restraining them. It's possible that he just knows too many tropes, can fit them to anything, and is somewhere else weird that he should be trying to decode from scratch. Quick briefing. A significant part of Cheliax's entire military potential is one-eighth circle wizard. Name of Manohar. Born to Chelish parents outside Cheliax and rumored not to actually worship Asmodeus, relevant security would know for certain. That doesn't mean we know who serves the Chelish government under a compact where his foibles and eccentricities are treated with more laxity than literally anyone else gets. Be it clear, he's not the kind of wizard who carries out dubious experiments on children. Cheliacs wouldn't hire someone like that even at Eighth Circle. He's the kind of wizard who carries out dubious experiments on adults, not deliberately cruel ones, but not exactly safe ones either. He has to get permission from the subjects for any crazy experiments involving other people, but is very good at talking people into it. He gets, by compact, special treatment from security, allowing him to peek in on projects he decides are interesting, though he does keep those secrets from everything I've heard. 
no mysterious leaks that nobody can prove were him. Chelyax isn't stupid, and neither is he. He never does anything bad enough that it starts to look commensurately bad, with him not being able to single-handedly guard sections of border. His compact says that any time he misbehaves badly enough that anyone else would be fired, he can't do anything like that again for at least a year, or he actually does get fired. Well, it's been a year and two months since the last time he blew up that interestingly, and I've received word that Manahar has found out that Project Lawful exists and has exercised his special viewing rights to look at our transcripts. Well, he's not arriving here in the next 30 seconds, at least. Because if Nethys warned us about just a Nadal invasion, he'd definitely warn us about that. You serious? Unfortunately, no, sir. Then keep the smart remarks down. You understand that you'd plausibly be his first target for persuasion once he's here? I know. Keltham, context. Manohar is very likely a worshipper of Nethys. And, regardless of whether he really is, the fact that everyone believes that is something like 70% of why I didn't tell anyone about my book-summoning abilities until I met you. Manohar is what most people think Nethys worshippers are like, especially people outside of wizard academies. I'm not allowed to literally give you this as an order, so consider it an extremely strong suggestion. Nobody is to agree to doing anything with Manohar if he shows up here, and if he does, tell security to call me immediately. Security isn't allowed to come get me as soon as they see him, but they can if he talks to you and you tell them to go do that. This would be the downside of running your government in a way where, for the greater good, you would think it was ever okay for somebody like Keltham to demand that Carissa to be given to him, even if she didn't want that, because Keltham is so important. Well, it at least sounds like they didn't literally give Manohar any women. All right. Trope-based prediction. Menohar can't possibly not come here. He'll target one of the four existing special girls, who needs to be protected from him by something that Keltham has to do in some way. Or successfully persuade a new girl who turns special after Manohar does experiments to her, and one of those backfires. In which case, the event cannot possibly be stopped. Nontropy prediction. All other possible outcomes. Favored within that, Manohar comes in and pokes around and annoys people, but everybody sensibly tells him to go away, and he does. Among my reactions to this is to want to jump forwards immediately on organizing Project Lawful more formally and signing our own contract with the Chelish government that recognizes Project Lawful as in part our own property and thereby not subject in a simple way to compacts solely between Manohar and Cheliacs. Good idea. Manohar shouldn't be able to get here too quickly. We're in the middle of a war, and he shouldn't actually be deserting the front lines. Are you close to being ready to roll on that, Keltham? Or can you get a version done in the next hour? I'm seriously considering just suggesting that everybody should stick together in a group, if so. Not if it's more of a one-day thing. It's at this point that Keltham notices that, like, you're not supposed to rush setting up your legal forms or hurrying to sign a contract with a not-super-trusted partner and that the situation could potentially be rushing him to do that. And this does seem... Well, everything here is so simultaneously alien and trope-laden that it all looks like a script on some level, about a world with economic magic, but still, that Mayolione interaction could be a script? Or does it just feel that way because nobody else is speaking up?
Chelish people stay silent in class, too, unfortunately. Ioni is the one who ever speaks up anyways, and she's already talking. There were a lot of issues to be hammered out even in an interim contract meant to be replaced, Keltham says out loud. What's the minimum content of a contract like that which would keep Manohar out? Depending on whether Manohar wanted to get sticky about it, which I can easily imagine him doing. It can't look too minimal, sorry. Something that does set up the ability for Project Lawful to make any kind of contribution that entitles it to any revenue from the government of Cheliax, which is then recognized as being owned by you. All right, let me think. Message. Carissa, does this look on the up and up to you? Message. I think the girls to worry about are the ones you just fired. Uh, the stuff about Manohar being an ethician with license to be difficult is true. Message. Okay, we'll call that the sane world prediction. Tropes say it ought to be Meritzel. Anyone else got any knowledge about this guy? Keltham asks the room. Also, I assume security has already been dispatched to get Asmodia, Pella, and Paxty? Shit, Paxty. No, I was focusing on you as the target to protect. Didn't headcount. Yes, that was stupid of me. Security, I need an immediate report on those three, then get them here. Pilar, you think Paxty would say yes to him? Maybe not actually in real life. I don't know. Paxty isn't stupid. Up until five minutes ago, I had maybe heard twice in the course of my life that one of our Eighth Circle wizards sets a bad example of mature adult behavior and a great example of how much you can earn special treatment by being a good enough wizard. I couldn't have told you that his name was Manohar, and if he identified himself to me like that, I probably wouldn't have recognized it enough to be cautious. I'd have assumed that if security had let him in, he was probably allowed to be there. Yeah, that's pretty much what happened to me, only with somewhat less ignorance and more stupidity. Plus side, I'm basically okay. I get to keep this plus six wisdom headband I'm wearing, and he's used up his being fired token for the next year. Son of a bitch. Asmodia, report. Strange man knocked on my door and woke me up in the middle of the night, next to a security that I did recognize, including by Arcane Mark. He said that one of, uh, Keltham's terms, the very smart people in governance, presumably him in retrospect, wanted to look into what happened if you put an artifact-grade headband on somebody studying Keltham's law. So he'd teleported here from the front lines to get his nightly two hours of sleep. Note for Keltham, sufficiently powerful wizards can compress their sleep down to two hours a day. He said the plan was for me to try on his headband, while security sleep-spelled him for those two hours so he wouldn't have to experience not wearing his headband. As far as I can tell, that actually was his entire plan, unless it had some second stage I didn't get to see. His second stage would have been that you did incredibly well, and then he'd let you lure Keltham into demanding to try that too, by your being such an interesting shining demonstration. Context. Manohar wouldn't be planning to usurp the rule of Cheliax at the end of this. He'd just literally be doing it to see what happened. This being why everybody assumes he worships Nethys, despite him having never once said anything about that. That's not bad enough to use up his bad behavior token for the year, though. What happened? I solved all seven of Keltham's problems where I'd previously only gotten up to hash five. No, that's understating things way too much. 
I suspect I've basically completed the law of probability inside my mind. I want to try replacing Keltham for the next lecture, which I assume was going to be on the meaning of those seven problems, and seeing how Keltham says I do at that. Okay, assuming either tropes, or the conspiracy, Keltham has no idea whatsoever what's going on at this point. This is neither a recognizable trope, nor does it have any recognizable conspiracy objective. This, of course, could be the sign of a competent conspiracy. But then the interactions leading here would have had a better script to the point of not giving him that scripted feeling. The problem with Galarian is that the ordinary possible world is so much more insane than the conspiracy one. Still, testable things can be tested. Meaning of problem seven? Uh, the evidence of somebody telling you about a fact has to be weighed separately from the evidence of the fact itself, which is how the rule of hash six, about not being able to predict what the evidence you see will make you believe, manifests when you think somebody else is filtering what evidence you get. Shit, Keltham says with feeling. Yeah, correct. Well, for that to be a clever plot, the conspiracy would need to already know the law of probability which is mostly not what Keltham had thought was going on inside the conspiracy world. I'm still not hearing the explanation for why Manohar isn't coming back for Keltham. I reacted badly when security took the headband off per prior agreement and put it back on Manohar to wake him up. I request to make the rest of my report in private, but it looks like I'm basically okay so long as I go on wearing the plus six wisdom headband that Manohar got for me afterwards and I observe that I expect this final outcome to be greatly advantageous for my study of law and for Project Lawful generally. Asmodia, considering the sheer degree of what the fuck I'm expecting our honored guest is experiencing right now, I'm going to insist that Keltham be allowed to hear that report too, while you are initially giving it to me. Is there some very good reason that you did not tell security to report to me before now? I guess I thought in the back of my mind that they were allowed to report to you after he was gone. I acknowledge fault in that. You acknowledge fault in that? My own choices were entirely legal, ended up benefiting myself even more than I'd hoped, did no harm to anyone else, did no harm to this project's interests, and in fact advanced this project's interests in multiple ways. I see. Asmodia Keltham with me, please. Keltham will trudge along after asking for everybody to still be here in 15 minutes, if that's okay. Still not as weird as the candy god thing, so why does that feel more objectively real somehow, compared to this? When they're more in private, though not all the way to my y'all's office, just a private breakout room near the cafeteria, Asmodia finishes reporting. Security gave me a fox's cunning and owl's wisdom first before taking off the headband, so it wouldn't be too much of a shock at once. And at first I thought I was going to be okay. It just... I sort of went successively crazier over time, riding some kind of developing high, couldn't get back to sleep. They tried slapping me to bring me out of it, which seemed to work at first, and I went to read for a half hour, but I could tell I wasn't normal at the end. So I told them to set my hand on fire for 30 seconds, and I thought that had brought me out of it, but it didn't. I told them to use a sleep spell on me for an hour, and when I woke up, I still wasn't normal. They tried Fox's cunning on me first, which I think actually made it worse. But before dispelling that, they tried Owl's wisdom on me, and then I was okay again. And I was still okay after the Fox's cunning wore off. But not when the wisdom did. 
Boosting Splendor didn't change much either way there. So now I have a nice plus six wisdom headband I should probably never take off again, which I maintain is a wonderful outcome for Project Lawful. I've never heard of anything like that happening to anyone. Manohar said, by comms he didn't come back, that he suspected an interaction with the part where I completed the law of probability while wearing the headband, like, that insight had actually reshaped my mind somehow, and it couldn't function at my innate wisdom anymore. I don't especially buy that it was the law of probability part myself. I remember this huge rush of happiness and glory while I was figuring everything out, which I thought at the time was just my being really happy about figuring out all of Keltham's problems and completing the meaning of all the math and seeing the world the way Keltham sees it. Keltham, does Dathy Lan know about anything like this? It's feeling more real, maybe just because the shock is wearing off, or maybe it's just that this part particularly seems more real. No. No headbands there. We don't know what happens when you boost a mind way up and then take it back down again. All I can say is that, if her brain did rewire itself to need the boost to go on working at all, I'm not surprised it was the... cognitive reflectivity. Wisdom part rather than the intelligence or splendor parts. I am absolutely not happy about this, Asmodia. Your implied inability to wear an intelligence headband, unless and until somebody obtains an artifact-grade headband which boosts both intelligence and wisdom, is a serious loss to your future career as a wizard and your potential usefulness to Project Lawful. I would now consider myself primarily a student of law before wizardry and might have elected to request a wisdom headband in any case. Are you under the impression that you're now primarily answerable to Keltham rather than to me, Asmodia? That did form some part of my calculations here. Mm. Keltham, anything to say about that? I am going to have to consult with Carissa on this one. What the floop does he do now? I admit I was hoping you'd tell me to please take Asmodia aside and yell at her exactly the way I would if I were still her boss, on your behalf. The thought had occurred to me that you seemed to be expecting that. But and I realize that Asmodia may well have guessed this part. Civilization's view of what she did may be substantially different from the Chelish one. Not saying I'm not going to come back in an hour and tell you to do that, but I need to talk to Carissa to get to grips with this entire thing. All right. I'll warn you right now that if this behavior is not somehow punished, you can expect her to do more things like this in the future, and in fact worse ones as she goes on testing the bounds of what she can get away with while working for you. Not necessarily the prediction I'd make about myself. But if so, I predict that I won't act that way for unimportant reasons, nor in a way that I expect to harm the project. Asmodia, are you okay? You sound different. Yeah, she does. And did even before the Most High delivered her the wisdom headband to learn so that she could teach. In the end, it didn't seem like something they should gamble on hiding from Keltham successfully and the advantages of Asmodia being able to wear her new headband openly after true events that didn't happen in Alter Cheliax, also seemed large. It wasn't something they wanted to attribute to the Grand High Priestess trying experiments on Asmodia without asking Keltham, or, by the same reasoning, to any non-rogue part of Chelish governance. The resulting plan wasn't one that anybody was happy with, but nobody had anything better by the time the next day came around combination of plus six wisdom and knowing the law of probability, I expect. 
You'd kind of expect that to make a person sound different, I think. Already in the... What's the Dathalani name of the probability before you've seen any evidence to shift it with? Prior. Why does this seem sad? It shouldn't seem sad. Just from the prior. I don't want the civilization inside me to just overwrite Golarian with itself. I wish that this hadn't happened all at once, and with a major personality rewrite. I never even got to know the previous Asmodia. Asmodia laughs. It's genuine. I'll be okay, Keltham. Okay, and still Asmodia. I just need a while for my head to shake out. How'd the whole thing end? How'd you get to the dining hall? The security who knew wasn't allowed to tell Mayal, or so I now realize, but he was allowed to wake me up and tell me what was happening. And you asked that because you were wondering how the... It's so weird, I can tell that my language needs all these words. It doesn't have... The way that probability is spread out over when my lol gets to the dining hall. The way that probability spreads out for my getting there. They'd have to be tangled up, or they wouldn't match. Am I seeing it? Am I wrong that I'm seeing the way you see now? You're seeing it, yeah. Why is he sad like this? You're sad? Why are you sad? I would have thought this was great news. I'm happier than I've... I'm pretty happy from hearing you confirm that. I don't actually know. Asmodia, you go on ahead to the dining hall and tell the others I'll be there in a few minutes. Anything you do want me to do here? Is there anything more like this I should be expecting to happen? You'd have had ten messes like this one if I hadn't been running myself ragged for the last week trying to keep everyone else out of your hair. Having this happen to us does earn us some amount of informal political credit for being the ones to take the Manishar hit, like you don't pick on the people who just had that happen to them. I wouldn't expect another event like this tomorrow. Another week, who knows. The stronger your project gets, the more results it produces. The more politically able it becomes to defend itself from this sort of thing. I'm saying that in part for my own benefit, but it's your benefit as well. Having an identifiable interest in the project, who's not just the government of Cheliax, is likely to help on future things, too. Right. Keltham goes off to take a few more minutes to himself. If you wish to support this AI reading and others like it, please visit patreon.com slash askwhocastsai. Any help is appreciated. And thank you to executive producer John Doe 7776059.